0: Welcome
1: back to The Cinema Condition with your host, filmmaker and creator of the NerdCore Podcast Network. Raul Alejandro Mendoza. How's everybody doing today? As always, we are back for another movie with another guest as we begin our, as we continue our journey throughout season two of The Cinema Condition. How the hell we made it to a second season? We made it to a second season. But that, that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, today, I am being joined by None other than my wonderful friend, renowned cinephile from First Cut and and all the other places you listen to her and watch her uh, beer beer pong champion, as they say around these parts. <laughs> Sabrina Ramirez, how are you doing, Sabrina?
2: Hi, I am doing so great. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time with you, my friend.
1: Yep, yep. I'm I'm so happy to see you, dude. I, I really am happy to
2: say, well, you know, I, I see you going like, on. I talk to you pretty
1: much like every now and then. but uh, I
2: talk to you so often, but obviously it's, it's one of these experiences where we don't get to just get on camera and talk about this kind of stuff. Um, so it's just really special when we get to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. On Film Club, like I talk about a lot of other stuff, but, you know, we never get to sit down and say, hey, let's get one movie and let's just go for like an hour to an hour and a half and kind of discuss this movie. So if you guys weren't here last season, this is Sabrina Ramirez. She was with us last season as she discussed Michael Gondry's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And until that episode, until that episode that was filmed, Sabrina's episode was the longest episode of the Cinema Condition season one until, of course, my great friend AKL Mumen came on to talk about The Last Temptation of Christ, and we went for a total of two hours and five minutes. So, yeah, that one was fun. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm not even I'm not even shocked. Um, that was such a fun conversation that we had just talking about Eternal Sunshine because both of us had so much perspective to offer. And that's what happens with these really, really special films. There's so much to dive into, and it's just really exciting.
1: Yeah. Uh today we'll be discussing da- Destin Daniel Critton's 2013 independent film short-term 12. And of course, Sabrina, this is her pick. This was her pick for second season. And I'm really excited to have her back. She's coming in early on the season. Yeah. Last time she was kind of a late one, but it's okay. Let's go. We bring her in early. And then we leave you guys wanting more and coming back possibly yeah. next season to <laughs> listen to Sabrina. But uh Sabrina, it's it's been a while since we've had you here. What's been going on? I know that uh you consulted on a certain film that I'm making. I- so that's a big update. That's a big update, Miss Sabrina. In 2021, we'll have an IMDB credit to her name for script consultant.
2: All thanks to you and everybody involved with that short film. Such an incredible, impactful piece of work that I'm excited to just see like come to life on screen genuinely. Um, and it's one of those things. So this is this was a really exciting thing that was added into my life, and then obviously, since the last time we spoke. Wow. Um it hasn't even been that long, but so much has happened. Um, mm-hmm. just you know, adding a lot more things to first cut, doing first cut live, doing all of that, adding my own Patreon. Um now first cut you quit is coming that out shitty of
1: fucking job too. You quit that yeah. shitty job.
2: I quit my shitty job in the middle of a pandemic and uh, it's been slightly working out, you know, <laughs> st- still struggling here and there. Um, but it's been awesome to be able to actually dedicate most of my time to the things I love, which is talking about film, which is exploring film and having that conversation with a lot of other people. I feel like all the different perspectives and that's one of the reasons why I love doing First Cut is because like having the more people that are added to a specific conversation, I feel like you gain so much more. Um, and that's why for something like Short Term 12, I could review it on my own. But talking to you about it, it's 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 going to be a better conversation no matter what. The more people we add, the more perspectives. Uh, it just becomes a little bit more special. Yeah.
1: And it's something special about this show that this isn't really a review show, you know. Yeah. Who cares if we like the movie or not? You know, there's certain movies I have. There's a movie that's coming up in our season with a guest of mine. I don't like that movie at all. I don't. But you know what? There one. is a conversation to be had about the themes presented in the film. So yeah. That's what's that's what's awesome about this space. And that's why I love this show. Because I get to bring in people like Sabrina who can say like, I'm going to flex my my film muscles here and discuss in depth films like these. So I'm really happy you're here because, of course, I'm, I'm. I'm. I was telling you for a long time. I was like, you ever make a Patreon? I'm gonna get on that Patreon. You know, right now I'm struggling real hard to kind of you know pay that Patreon. But you know, I I'm in there and I'm so thankful because it's it's a lot of fun to be able to talk about film with you. And of course, I've been introduced to some wonderful people like Aaron, who uh, okay. who is a wonderful person who was on here before. He we, we just did our episode on One Car Wise Fallen Angels. And we are able to meet all these other people and kind of discuss film at the level that we are like, hey, what's it called? Uh, it's hard. It's, it's hard to discuss film at this level. And it's like, hey, I want to get these these um, these what's it called opportunities where we can discuss it. So, you know, Serena, you've been having a lot of stuff going on, but I'm glad that you were able to make the time to come back on the cinema condition and uh, finally talk.
2: Of course. Literally anytime I'm here, like you yeah. are genuinely one of the kindest, like most intelligent humans I've ever met, especially like via the internet, Uh, shout out to the internet and in that we live in this time where we can make these types of connections with people. Yeah. Girl,
1: don't make me blush. That's a call. <laughs> I blush easily. So, you know, that That's a call. <laughs> I blush easily. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Sabrina is here to do dash this das- and das- Daniel Crenza and 12. Um, uh, so, of course, we've never looked at a film from Destin Daniel Cretton. So as is it is in this show, it shall be again, my friends. I have to introduce you all to the, fam- to, to the film, to the filmmaker known as Destin Daniel Cretton. So uh, Destin Daniel Cretton was born on November 23rd, 1978 in Haiku, Hawaii, on the island of Maui. He was homeschooled by his Christian mother and he moved to San Diego at the age of 19 and studied communications at Point Loma Nazare University. He pretty much made short films as a hobby at the time, but decided to go to film school and he graduated from San Diego State University. He received a Nichols a, a. Hold on A nickel fellowship In screenwriting For his For his script That would That was his short His uh His short film at the time Short Term 12 Which he got this fellowship To expand the film And He ended up Making uh, he, he made his directorial Debut with this With this film Called I Am Not a Hipster But He doesn't launch His career Until he releases Short Turn 12 in 2013. After that, he goes on to write and direct the, Go- the, the the Glass Castle in 2015 and releases it in 2017. After that, he works with Brian Kugler on Miners, a TV show. And after that, he directs the courtroom drama Just Mercy in 2018. And as of late, he has been working on the Marvel Studios film Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is set to be released in this year. So, Destin Daniel, Destin Daniel Cretton, uh, a very renowned figure within the independent cinema field, as he did pretty much create one of the greatest independent films of all time, nay, greatest films of all times. So,
2: exactly, and <laughs> it's it's just really crazy because obviously. Um, this wasn't his debut, but this is something that really put him on the map, got nominated for a lot of film independent spirit awards, things like that. And honestly, throughout his filmography, I seriously think this is the highlight. And I think when you have this new type of filmmaker – You're able to take so many risks because you don't have a lot to lose. You don't have a lot to prove when you're on a small budget and you're making a film like this. You can make it your own. You don't have a studio that's going to sit there and give you notes or tell you things that you don't want to do. This is wholly your project and wholly your film. And that's why I think this film is so special because there's a lot of moments, if this were to be a bigger film, that would be romanticized or exaggerated, Hollywoodized, like you know. And we we don't get that at all with this film. It feels so raw and authentic, and it's really interesting to me. Um, because Just Mercy, I, I thought it was fine. Um, I I thought it was good, uh, but it kind of trailed on that very Hollywood version of telling a specific type of story. But it still stayed a little bit close to home and close to the heart. But short term twelve is fully this way, um, and it's cool that he's taking on a Marvel movie. I mean, uh, get get that check and make more films like short term twelve. And I I'm, I'm really looking forward to Shang Chi, and I'm excited to see what he does with his character because that character is so important to a lot of people, and I'm just excited to see that on screen.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad he's getting work. You know, yeah. Would it have to be through the arms of Disney? Uh, Not a big fan of that, but, you know, (laughs) I I'm glad that he's getting work. And, uh, you know, I I always say this. uh, We should never expect these filmmakers to have to land on the big arms of the major studios. You know, it's not bad for them to make films that are low to mid budget films. But, you know, it's a discussion for another day. Uh, but I'm very happy that he's getting work and he's still working because this film is truly amazing. And it includes a lot of castmates that would go on to win Oscars and would be some of the biggest actors that we know right now. So, uh, I want to talk to you all about short turn 12. Short turn 12 was adapted from his 2009 film, short film of the same name. did not start any of the people that are in this film though. Uh, it, it was, um, It was basically inspired by his experiences working in group homes and Brie Larson and John Gallagher were casted after their Skype auditions. My friends, it doesn't always have to come through having to go through a uh, what's it called to a building. You know, it always can be through Skype. I feel like a lot of work is going to be earned through Zoom during these couple of days, too. Oh yeah, Uh,
2: and hopefully it's a lot better of an experience than that one actor got. That one young actor when the director was on Zoom with him and criticized like his background in his apartment. Yeah, see that on Twitter. That was crazy. That's stupid. Uh, Yeah. So directors, be be respectful to people you're hiring. Uh, But yeah, we're definitely getting a lot of that this past year and going into 2021 for sure. Yeah.
1: Filming took place over 20 days in Los Angeles. It premiered at the South by Southwest Festival and won the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award at that festival. A lot of the characters are basically based upon the stories of children he interviewed at several facilities. So um Short Term 12 looks at the uh at the what's it called? At the the facility known as Short Turn 12. It's a group. It's a group home. that Brie Larson's character describes as basically a middleman. This is a place where children come to stay at before the, before the county knows what to do with them and send them off to somewhere else. To possible foster care homes or foster parents. So in here, we have a couple of people who live at the house. Uh, you know, we have a character played by Lakeith Stanfield, uh, who at the time was going, going by Keith Stanfield. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, we also have a uh, what's it called? Um, we also have other people working there, like Brie Larson, John Gallagher Jr., Stephanie Beatriz, and a incoming Rami Malek, who plays the new guy. Which I have a feeling that is based upon Destin Daniel Crenn. It has to be. I mean, I was like, he he has to be what's it called? Saying like, oh, I was the new guy. This is how I felt when I was there. So, uh, you know, and the home. It's 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 mouth. It's a um, it's a little bit odd, you know. It's not a little bit odd. What's the word I'm trying to say? It's a little dysfunctional, but it's dysfunctional in its own way. But it's a tight knit family in there, and throughout its time at Short Turn Twelve, things come into play when the arrival of a said Caitlin Devers character arrives, and Brie Larson's life, Brie Larson's character's life, is challenged from the get go. And uh, first of all, uh, before we get into like the official discussion, why'd you pick this film, Sabrina? What was that? Why'd you pick this film?
2: Oh wow! Um, I know. Right? Yeah, this film to me. I think is a beautiful portrayal of so many things. I think it's a portrayal of community. Like you kind of mentioned with everybody in the facility with its ups and downs, they have their own family. They have their own community. We see glimpses of it when we go into John Gallagher jr's family as well. And we see his connection to the facility. We see Brie Larson's because she had also gone through something. And obviously we'll dive into all of these a little bit more. Um, But the way it deals with mental health uh, strains in your life, going through something very difficult and the way it portrays self-harm and things like that just genuinely feels so authentic. It's exactly like what I mentioned before when I talked about how this doesn't have any of those like Hollywoodisms. This isn't romanticizing anything. It's showing it the way that it is and the way that you experience it and ways to overcome it and that connection you can make with people that have gone through something similar or the same thing because we have all these kids in this facility who have gone through some type of loss or some strain in their life, something so difficult. And they can kind of find those, those, um, joys in life, that community and that family together, uh, with all the ups and downs. Cause as we know, even your biological family, you will have issues with them sometimes. Like you will have the ups and the downs. And I love that it showed this way. And there's so many specific moments that I know we're going to be getting into, but All of that, the way it deals with all of this in a very, very raw and authentic way, Um, it's dark. It's surprisingly funny at times as well. And that really adds levity to the situation. And that's why I don't think it's this dreary, depressing movie, even though it's dealing with really, really deep, deep uh, like themes and meanings and discussions. Um, I think it's something that can bring up a very, very solid conversation, but is still entertaining and something people would enjoy watching.
1: Yeah. I truly, I truly agree with you there. Um, and before we go into our conversation, I do want to say, uh, because, uh, I, I could possibly, you know, put this in the front of the episode, but let's be honest, I'm going to forget. So <laughs> my friends, um, during this discussion, there will be topics of sexual assault, of abuse, uh, physical, emotional, and mental abuse. So if that is a big strain on you, I understand why you will not listen to the rest of this conversation. I just want to say that I'm not, I don't, I don't give out spoiler warnings here. You want, what's it called? You listen to the discussion as if you watch the film, but I will give you only content warning. There will be discussions of the set of set subjects, uh, sexual assault, physical assault, physical abuse, mental abuse and emotional abuse. So if you cannot go through that and you wish to not participate with this episode, I truly understand. And I will not hold any resentment towards you, but this will be your one and only content warning for the rest of the episode. So please, uh, I I do understand. And I would not, would I would, the last thing I would want to do, my friends, is to cause any, let's call physical, I mean, not physical, uh, psychological distress upon you for listening to this episode. So if you want to sit this one out, you can sit this one out. That's okay. So uh, that is your one and only content warning and I will be putting it there. So without further ado, let's get into our discussion about Destin Daniel Cretton's short term 12. let Let's get it. You picked yourself a great film. Uh, this is my second time watching this film and this will be the only time I will even bring any instance of review into the film, into this conversation. I love this film. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. It's pretty much everything. <laughs> That my life revolves around Uh, This film is really filled with A lot of nuances Um, And one of the first ones I want to discuss Is that idea of community The idea of What we believe As us who don't come from Broken homes per se As the second family You know The family you create that isn't by blood You know And uh, it's really what's it called? Prioritize within, within this film that idea of, of community. Just even just even the community with the workers. Like, hey, like we're here to do this. But we're here for each other. What's it called? We check up on each other and we make sure that we're good. And then, of course, the community within the children who live there. And then even then, after the children leave the home, there's still a sense of community there. and And, and, the, and they kind of find each other. Now that they've stepped into the world outside, and I think that that's one of the most important instances, uh, one of the most important characteristics that Destin Daniel Cretton involves in this film. It's that it's that beautiful sense of community. Uh, one of my favorite instances is when, um, of course, uh, Caitlin Dever has a, a breakdown, and after her, after her, her father, Caitlin Dever's character's father, uh, could not come to pick her up, but Keith Stanfield's character go Marcus goes to his room he picks up what's it called uh what's the word I'm trying to say what type of paper uh is it just like uh,
2: construction paper and supplies
1: <laughs> supplies markers and he brings it he drops it on that table and he says come on guys everybody stop watching TV let's get to work because there's that need to be there for your own and what do they do and they create wonderful little flyers and cards that say "Happy Birthday to," uh, what's
2: your name? Uh, her name is. We should I know love-
1: before we come on. Yeah.
2: De- oh, Jaden. Okay, Jaden is her name. Um, yeah. and I genuinely love the fact that you brought this up because that is the main. That's like the thing I had in mind exactly when I was talking about community, and I knew we were going to dive into a deeper that part like, as you were speaking about it, I just had chills because it's, it's exactly what you said. It's like, it's treating everybody as your own. She wasn't even there for that long. She actually came in very hostile to everybody, but they understand that this is just the process that happens. And they're so young and the wisdom they all carry in that way, like that emotional weight that they've had to deal with in their lives. So they know how to react to others. Um, It's just something that is so beautiful because that show of empathy Where right away, it's like someone is struggling. It's also her birthday. Let's sit down and let's let's do all this. And the way he says it too, it's just so blunt. He drops it down. He's like, hey, everybody grab some. Come on. Like, let's go. And then when we see the display on her bed and her reaction when she gets back to that, it really just shows like that human love. Like just... Love from person to person. It That is such a sweet moment that is so wholesome um, and just so special. That's, that's definitely one of the standouts of the film. And yeah, I love that you mentioned the community as well between the workers and um, the people in the facility because they have that dynamic where... They can't get too close. They can't get too attached. And that's very difficult as a human, but they have those little moments where they do immediately. Brie Larson's character becomes like attached to Jaden. And she's like, I, I want to be there for this person. Even before she realizes that their stories are very similar and connected. Um, She bakes her that cupcake. She's writing out like doing her uh, necklace and everything like that. And it's just something that's so special. And that relationship and bond that they clearly all have The dynamic um, really is helping a lot of these children kind of go through this period of life because like you kind of mentioned, this was supposed to be something that's like short term, supposed to be less than a year. But she briefly mentions uh, really quickly at the beginning that some of the kids have been there for like three years. So it's this in-between place that some people are actually stuck at for a while, um, but they're making it as much of a home as they possibly can. And another thing I thought was interesting was that it was like co-ed. Um, which I never knew that kind of like existed. Like it seems like they're kind of just all mixed up Um, and they probably have specific hallways and things Mm -hmm. like that, but they all kind of get to mingle with themselves. And just when we have shots as we're walking past, like the kids hanging out kind of in the common area, they're just, they're just hanging out. They're just drawing, they're watching TV together. They really did emphasize that fact that these, these people all have a bond
1: yeah, what's it called all those times that they were hanging out reminded me of literally reminded me of when my friends, we were like, hey, we got like a, an hour and a half before class. F- fuck it. Let's go to the student center. We're going to sit there. We're watching the TV and we're talking and stuff. It's like it's, it's, it's literally about it's literally about this community, this tight knit group of feeling like you belong to something, you know, because a lot of us as humans, we have a hard time with dealing with the fact that sometimes we feel like we don't belong somewhere. It is even tougher when you come from a home where you were literally meant to feel like you were wanted and it's tough. And then you get put into this community where you don't know anybody in that home. But as time goes by, you get to learn about these people who are very similar to who you are. They might not have the exact same trauma that you've gone through, but they do know about that feeling of not one want- of not being wanted, of being hurt, about being uh, sexually assaulted and they can relate to you on that level and they create that community and where you belong with them. And even after you are gone, they're still a part of your life.
2: Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And we get a glimpse of that also as well in a different sense. But when John Gallagher Jr. Is with his family at his uh, parents' like 30th anniversary, he it's, it's kind of, we get that parallel to that because he's talking to his parents and he's like, You took me in when I was this age. You mixed me in with this big, beautiful family. It's all thanks to you. And it's the same thing that you could look at with the children at short-term 12 because they're talking about people who were there years ago. They're talking about um, seeing people out after they turn 18, living their lives, meeting up with others. And it's something that always sticks with you. And as they have this in-between area, they're able to stop for a second and create these connections because obviously- It's very difficult if you're at a very young age like we look at sammy's character um and we don't know exactly what he's gone through but we look at him and we see that clearly he has lost all of his sisters because he has his little dolls um and we assume also his parents as well or something along those lines and he's very very young and to have to go through that that amount of loss and how difficult that transition will be when you're in this in-between area, but to have the warmth around you, to have all of them care about him so much. um, It's something that just helps everybody out just a little bit. You're creating again, like John Gallagher Jr. said, like this big, beautiful family. Um, And those connections will stay as you move forward. Because if you go through loss like that, when you're really young, that can, that will definitely put a strain on you, for a long long time but when you're able to have this kind of cushion to be able to uh, connect with others i think that's that point that they drove home as well is just very very special
1: and i think that it's rather interesting what Destin daniel cram brings with uh with the different coping mechanisms around the house you know mm-hmm. sammy has the dolls uh marcus has his music like he likes to write um J- jaden well J- jaden What's it called? That uh, She's, she's figuring it out. You know, she doesn't really have a mechanism to cope, you know, yeah. it's, it's, well, yeah, it's making her, what's it called? Uh, visual stories.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, what's it, what's his name? Um, <laughs> I'm not just going to go, Hey, the Latino kid. No, that's not right. Luis, oh, Luis, Luis. Yes. Luis. It's very much, you know, joking around talking with his friends and what's called playing outside. Like it seems to be what helps him. Feel like you know, let's go disconnected from all the things that are rather that are going on in his life. Uh, but it's 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 interesting. You know, you have all these characters who they've gone through like some of the toughest stuff no child should ever have to go through. But they find something that can help them get through the day. And you, one of my favorite, one of my favorite parts is, is, is of course when uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character Marcus and uh, John Gallagher Jr.'s character, they're they're reciting that those lyrics. God, it's God, it's some of the like hardest stuff you can listen to. You know, he's he's letting it all out, and uh, John Gallagher Jr. stops playing the banjo, banjo at the not banjo, bango at one point, and you're just feeling that ounce and pouring of emotion coming out as like that sort of catharsis that is needed to finally. Take it right off your chest, and finally, just throw it out there, because if you don't do that, it just stays hidden in there for so long, and you're like, you know, I'm I'm not going to be free from the trauma that is uh, is infecting my brain.
2: Yeah, and and exactly what you mentioned with those coping mechanisms, because we have that moment with um with Mason and Marcus when uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Keith Stanfield, which I thought was really funny on a rewatch. I never picked up before because now, like you mentioned, all of these actors in this film, a lot of them are really, really huge. Uh, Rami Malek, Lakeith Stanfield. John Gallagher Jr. was somebody who I actually adored at a very young age because uh, really quick, he played... Uh, he was in American Idiot, the musical, and I saw that when I was a kid because I love Green Day and he was the main character in that. So I thought it was awesome. But seeing this moment between Marcus and Mason where it is it is clearly very cathartic and he is releasing a lot of his emotions in the way that he knows how and in the communication that best suits him and that he's comfortable with, um, even when it it stops at the end and he's like, Mason's like, I don't know what to say. And Marcus is like, that's okay. Just like, just sit with it. I just let it out. That's all I needed to do was to really talk. And then we have the similar situation with Jaden, like you mentioned with her illustrations and her story. Uh, We basically, when we meet her, she's already drawing uh, things. We see her with a tiny little cockroach that was on the floor with like balloons hanging from it in her journal. And then we get to the point where she is telling her story and she's communicating her feelings the way she knows how. Um, and she's doing that with Grace, Brie Larson's character. So we have those two moments. And you can just assume that they have these types of moments with all the kids all the time. And so not only it's like with Brie Larson, with John Gallagher Jr., Rami Malik is new. But as they continue on working there, they're going to basically accept the weight of a lot of the kids' emotions. And that definitely is something that we see Brie Larson... Um, with her background, kind of with, with what we know about her experience in life and how she got to this point. Um, she obviously clearly wants to help others because maybe at the time for a little bit, nobody was able to help her. But then once she was able to talk to somebody, she experienced obviously, um, a shift in her life and she was able to, uh, experience stuff and breathe just a little bit easier because her father obviously was put in jail. Um, and and through these experiences, yeah, they they all sign up to help the children and to carry a little bit of their weight for them and let them know that they're not alone. It's basically like they work there, they're um, platonic companions, uh, they can't get too connected, but they're able to have these really special moments.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I and I think it's just so genius how he's like, you know, he tells him like, you know, I don't know what to say. And it's like, it's fine. You ain't, you ain't got to say nothing. And I think that's something that... Um, throughout my countless friendships you know some, sometimes uh for those who've had to see the uh you know the brunt of my um of my episodes my episodes you know sometimes it's just good to sit there and listen and be there to listen to what's going on now we we will never have the answers for everything we we can't you know we uh, what makes us special as humans is that we all have different experiences And sometimes we are safe from some of the experiences that we don't have to go through, you know? Yeah. But the good thing is that us as humans, we're empathetic and we can sit down with each other and we can listen to us, to each other and still be able to be there for one another. Even though we may not understand everything that we've gone through.
2: Yeah, because obviously when we talk to our friends or we talk to people that we care about or that we're close to or the people that we're able to talk to, um, the resources that you have in your life to be able to let out these emotions. Um, so for them, obviously it's the workers. Sometimes all you want to do is just be able to talk and just have somebody listen. Nobody's going to be able to give you the perfect, especially nobody that's trained to do. So could never give you the perfect answer to everything, but that catharsis that you clearly see with Marcus, once he's finishing his song and Caitlin Deaver, once she told her story in the way she knew how, um, that's really something that makes the biggest difference because you know both of us have have talked openly about our own struggles and in in my experience that's some of the best things that anyone could ever offer you is that companionship just to listen.
1: Mm-hmm. And and sometimes it's real hard to get everything out. It's hard to it's hard for us to discuss the things that are deeply deeply in there that are really tough to talk about. You know, I I, I know countless people that it took a lot for them to reveal some stuff about their past to me. But it's beautiful that sometimes that knows no that knows no bounds when it comes to art or, you know, let's call writing and stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. Caitlin Deaver, the only way that she can say, hey, I was sexually assaulted by my father was by drawing pictures and visual stories. And through there, she can get a flow of describing what happened to her or the only way to really release the anger of being physically abused by your mother and being made to sell drugs at a young age is by writing music for marcus and I, and i think that that it's it's something that you truly get to know the the inner workings of human uh, what's it called human ex- human experiences with trauma and how hard it can be, because sometimes we really want to talk about it. It's right there, but literally the words cannot cannot get out of our mouths. They they can't they can't we can't we want to say it so bad that we went through this. We want to say so bad that this was our experience, but it's hard. And sometimes it can just find itself being included in our poetry or in our music or in our what's called essays or in our films. And I think that that. That is something really beautiful about this movie. 100%. Really
2: and works. again, the same way those characters are talking about their situations in the way they know how, that's how a lot of us express ourselves. That's why people attach themselves to certain things, um, whether it's getting emotions out physically and going for a run or things like that, which I know have, has helped a lot of my friends. Um, there's just those little ways to alleviate the trauma and the pain, especially for those moments. And obviously it's just something you have to continue doing for the rest of your life.
1: Mm -hmm. We're going to continue our discussion on Short Term 12 after we come back from our wonderful commercial break. But my friends, uh, as always, uh, please stick around. We will be back after these words, not from our sponsors, but our sister shows. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be back to keep on discussing Destin Daniel Cretton's Short Term 12. Hey, I'm Roland Mendoza and this is
0: Jabril Newton,
1: And we are the hosts of High... Flyer Radio. Radio. And finally, Pro Wrestling has come back to the NerdCard podcast feed in the form of a show hosted by Jabril and I. And we talk about everything and anything in the pro wrestling world on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time.
0: Nothing's off limits. Whatever you guys want to talk about, it is from AEW to SmackDown to Raw to NXT. Nothing's off the table. We can talk about it.
1: We're going to talk all about it. And if you can get it a day early, you should go to the www. Patreon.com slash The Nerd and pledge to the tiers on there so you can get this show and a lot of shows days early before anybody else gets to hear it. But enough talking about it. We'll go ahead and see you there at the Square Circle. Oh, yeah. Don't tap out. Tune in.
2: Tune in.
1: Nerdcore podcast feed on anchor.fm slash the nerdcore and the case is closed, but it's not classified. See you guys there.
2: Hey, it's Ashley from the GamerCore. You may remember me from such episodes as Big Screen Mess, Mo Money Mo Platforms, and Brad Can Read. Tune in weekly as I blab with my co hosts Raul the Nerdy Chicano and Brad the Random Germ about the latest news in gaming and gush over what we're playing at the moment. Oh yeah, and we got the deals too. Keep up with the latest deals in gaming and what's happening as I mediate Brad and Raul fighting like a married couple. Will Death Stranding ever come out? Will Cyberpunk 2077 live up to the hype? Is the next gen worth a $500 console price tag? And has there ever been a movie adaptation of a video game that's been done right? It's all on the Gamer Core podcast. Everywhere where podcasts are.
0: Hey guys, this is Brad, aka Young Yoda. Raul said I had to make an ad, so that's what I'm doing. Um, it's supposed to be for unstructured, but as you guys know, you can freaking catch me everywhere when it comes to this podcast feed. You can find me on the nerd cores, on gamer cores, on nerdy Chicano. Sometimes when I get lost, uh, I mean. But for this particular one, I want you guys to go check out unstructured. The role gave me free reign to do whatever I want to do. I don't know what he was thinking. So go hear me talk about LeBron James and Taco Tuesday, vaping, uh, so many other freaking weird topics that uh, chimichangas, that's a good one. Uh, shout out to Deadpool. And yeah, I, I guess this is the end of the ad. So if you guys want to find me, you can find me all over the place on this uh, podcast feed. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I love you all. And nerd up. Hey everyone, I'm Raul. And I'm Brad.
1: And we're the hosts of the Nerdcore podcast, the podcast that talks that nerd, sh- not on this ad, right? Not and on this one. we come to you every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday. On the Mondays, we talk the news, that's the box office, the news of the week, and your trailer talk, if there is any. And on Tuesday, we have our theme review, and on Saturday, you have a Saturday morning review, usually movies that have come out in the week, or anything we want to talk about. Right, Brad?
0: Exactly. Whatever we want to talk about, this is our show. If you don't like it, then you don't have to listen.
1: We're the flagship show of the Nerdcore Podcast feed, and we can be found everywhere you can listen to podcasts like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. So if you want to talk that nerd stuff with us every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, make sure you tune in. And Brad?
0: Young Yoda out. Welcome back to the
1: Cinema Condition. As we are discussing Destin, Daniel Cretton's Short Term 12. I saw you smile when when you heard the, not on this ad. <laughs> like not,
2: not on this one. That's a great one. Yeah. Great but,
1: to that. Yeah. It's because it's usually nerd shit. And I'm like, <laughs> can't curse on the ad. You can curse on the show. Can't curse on the ad. As always, you can listen to all those other shows on the Nerdcore podcast feed. You can find Nerdcore podcast feed at anchor.fm slash the nerd course, your RPS. Of course, my friends, a lot of those shows are not active at the moment because of a global pandemic, and I am not uh, stressing my friends out and my castmates out and those who work within my team. So as of right now, we have a couple of shows that are active at the moment, but for now, you know, we'll, we'll we'll keep the ad going. So if you want to listen to past episodes of the Ladies of Nerdcore, the Gamer Core, Unstructured, you, you can still find them there, but they are not active at the moment. But you can listen to those, of course. And we have Season 1 of The Cinema Condition on that feed as well. I do not know when Season 2 will be premiering on that feed, but for now, you can still listen to The, the, the Cinema Condition on its own separate feed at the anchor.fm slash The Cinema Condition. But, of course... Go and support over there. Leave a rate and review, and uh, we're gonna go, kid, and get back into our conversation here about short term twelve. So, my friend, um, there is something that I I, I saw within this film. Uh, you know, it, it kind of it kind of passes your eye a bit, but I had to kind of bring this up because it's something that I truly, truly, truly find important because I've been called an underprivileged kid before. I've been called a kid from an underprivileged community. Basically, it's their way of saying, hey, Raul, you're from the hood. And I'm like, yeah, what's it called? Yep. When Rami Malik first starts the job, they ask him why, what's it called? He, he, he's asked to talk about why he wants to work here. He says, well, I've taken some time with, off school and I want to grab, what's it called, some experience in the real world. And I've always wanted to work with underprivileged kids. Which receives a strong reaction from Lakeith Stanfield's character Marcus, and Marcus basically tells him to word himself correctly in the nice, in a that's nice way of putting it. The way that it came out of Marcus was a little bit harsher, but I do feel that that anger was was uh, was understood. It's very, I think, to be fair, it's it's not a racist term. It's a term. It's a term that comes with a lot of microaggressions to be called um, underprivileged. Literally, I went to a school that its motto was that we are schools that are meant to serve underprivileged communities. It kind of brings this idea as if there is a re-education needed for children who come from lower income families or who come from troubled homes. And uh, it's 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 interesting that within this film, we're not made to see them like that. We're made to see them as humans, as humans who have had a hard life. But they're not they're not they're not bound to their socioeconomic stance. St- they're not bound to their trauma. They're not bound to what they came to. They are bound to the fact that they are children who are in need of help. That's it. That's all they that's all they are. They're children who need help. Whatever happened in their past, that 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 happened, and we need to work through that. But the most important thing is that we have to be here to help these kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you did you notice this on your run through the film? Is it something that kind of struck your eye?
2: Oh, yeah, because obviously, you know, if we think from the perspective of Nate, Rami Malik's character, he this is his first day on the job. He's introducing himself, and that's just kind of the way society looks at a lot of these types of situations. It's like, oh, underprivileged. Or something like that, but but the way it sounds when you're talking to a group of people who are not they experience setbacks in their lives, but they're still being able to experience, like we said, their like love and community from each other. So they're they're not they're not void of anything. They're not like missing something from themselves. They just experience something very difficult and traumatic that they're trying to work through. And when you word it like that, it basically sounds like you're talking down to people and talking like they're less, less of, and that they have to work through more, which is the, which is true. Obviously, um, they, they have to experience something just a little bit more difficult and that does set them back a little bit like emotionally. But once you're able to work through that, like we see at the end, I I don't want to skip all the way to it, but Marcus gets out. He's in a very tough situation when we first, um, when we're first introduced to him in the film, just a little bit before his 18th birthday, um, obviously he's, he's going through a lot, but uh, John Gallagher Jr. is talking to all of the workers and he's like, Oh, I see him. He's drinking a latte. at a coffee shop and a a cute girl that he had a crush on over here uh, before he's with her and just talking about all this stuff. And it's just, just because they're going through this in life and Marcus is going through this rough time he's not less of a person and he he's just in need of some help and he's just in need of some of that love that he didn't receive obviously clearly from his mother or in any of the other circumstances with Sammy, the loss of his family. And, um, so I love that they highlighted that genuinely because nobody wants to be helped, but talked down to at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, all of us are in need of help at any point in our lives. Like everybody will go through difficult experiences in their life, but you're not, that's not a moment to talk down to others. And, um, I really quick just want to talk about one of my other favorite things. That's just kind of one of those like blink and you'll miss it since we're talking about when we're reintroduced to Marcus at the end. Um, I think it's really beautiful because Obviously, throughout this film, there is so much. Uh, there's a lot of very, very dark moments. And there's a lot of that like levity. Like I said, it's like shockingly funny at, at certain times. It makes it a little bit easier to consume something like this, makes it a little bit more entertaining, but also makes it more real. Because just because somebody is going through something doesn't mean there are moments that will be so warm or will be so vibrant in their lives. Um, but we're reintroduced to Marcus, and he works at an aquarium and i think it's one of the most beautiful like moments of poetic cinema ever i i don't know anything i don't know anything like that because obviously we talked about his music but he also had this very very strong connection to his fish that he had in the room mm-hmm. and he actually um he harms himself with a piece of the fish bowl because the fish had died and then at the end, he works at an aquarium. So this is something that he loved and he was able to put his time and energy into when he was there and then figures out that he has a love for it at the end and afterwards. And I think that connection and that beautiful, beautiful, like poetic cinema that we get and that beautiful moment um, just is something that ties the story up in the best way possible. I hate to skip to the ending, but it's something that I, when Aaron and I were talking about it, a uh, friend of the show, Aaron Brooks. Like he didn't pick up on that yet because he had just watched it um, when we were talking about it. But yeah, it's I think that's one of my favorite moments. That's kind of a blink and you'll miss it.
1: Yeah, and, and it's beautiful because it's it's him finding like, here I am. He there's something that Marcus talks about within this film called within his song that he's reciting uh, this 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 idea of the normal life, if there even is a normal life. We we are we are said that there is a life that. You live that is supposed to be normal, but even the happiest of homes, there's something that's going wrong in that home. You know, you could, you could grow up in a loving family and you could grow up to never be harmed in any way. And there's still something that's missing from that family. There's something that's missing that, that, you know, that you feel that isn't right. You know, no home is perfect. No home is perfect. There is no life that is perfect. I think everything is a Everything has its instances of something that's wrong. Uh, And it takes a lot of uh, reflecting within yourself to know that there were instances within your life that you know like, hey, should not have worked that way. Hey, it shouldn't have gone like that. It's interesting he brings it up as the normal life. And now he is, he's out of the home. He's, He's being taken away from the place that he's known as his home for so long. And he's being thrown out into a world that it's a very cruel world. It's a world that may not care for you like the people that were in that home. But you were able to tie yourself to something that will always remind you of that home. Being around those fishes, reminding yourself, I used to live at this place that the people used to care for me a lot. And i made friends who I love. And I made a connection with everybody in there. And every day I come into this work, and I may have a bad day, but I'll look at those fishes in those huge aquarium tanks. And I'll remind myself that I came from a place where I was truly loved and cared for. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's very beautiful. It's a beautiful way of wrapping up that story.
2: Oh, It is. It is so great. And, and it really also is just one of those things where, yeah, they, he found something in this home and it's giving him, he he was also kind of like, just like hinting at like, he doesn't know where he's going to go. Obviously his life when he wasn't in the home was so difficult, but after this, it's like, he found it. He had a crush on a girl that was also in short term 12 that he only briefly met because she was on her way out when he came in and now they're on a date. And it's just, it's really one of the like most beautiful ways to end this film. Um, and so that's why I love with the character of Marcus, we really go through all of that and we feel all of his emotions and it puts us into his perspective. And it does so with all, with every single one of the kids that we're really introduced to. We get all of those glimpses where there'll be no dialogue. It's just a shot. And we see Sammy playing with the little dolls. We see, uh, we see Jaden drawing, we see all of that. Um, and obviously like the kids that we kind of dive into the most, uh, are Jaden and Marcus, And Jaden's story really is just something so special, too. Yeah.
1: In the way that it connects to Grace, Brie Larson's character, and who I want to talk about now, you know, Grace 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 is a survivor of sexual assault. She is a survivor of uh, physical abuse by by her father. She says that her mother dies, and then she goes to live with her father. Her father starts to, you know, physically harm her, and then he sexually abuses her and gets her pregnant. She aborts that child. She successfully gets her father imprisoned, and she lives her life calmly for a bit. You know, there's still instances. We never get an explanation as to why she has that bandage. But as we view the film, we understand that she was harming herself. Uh, because there was a looming presence of, uh, of, of a possible trauma that was coming back to her, which was her father coming out of prison. And, you know, as we, we explore grace and, uh, we explore how tough trauma plays into, um, into relationships. One of the moments that I can bring up is when, um, grace and Mason are getting a little hot and heavy on the couch they're kissing each other they're feeling up on each other it seems that they're about to have sex and grace starts to feel uncomfortable she says no she says stop but mason doesn't hear it and he's like asking like what did you say and she says stop pushes him slaps him across the face and uh that is something that especially when you are talking about sexual abuse survivors it's something that's hard to uh to to get into um get Get, uh, what's to explore? It's hard to to depict that, you know. It's hard mm-hmm. to depict that without going down the route of putting the woman in the place of looking like she's selfish, you know. Mm-hmm. Mason, Mason is, Mason is, you know, he's he's mad that he got he, he got slapped. Like, who's not going to get mad that he got slapped? Yeah, you know, of course. But he and understands
2: the thing, and it's it's very clear that he's understanding and he knows what she went through because as they're even like once they start making out he's like are you are you sure are you okay like is everything fine as it's kind of happening and it's not something that's taking them out of the situation and also we have to remember right at the beginning she's kind of going through the same situation again she just found out that she is pregnant she clear she took multiple tests at home finally went into the doctors and confirmed it she said she took like nine nine at-home tests and by that point if they're all positive it is positive um, she wanted to get that clear from the doctor and she has that situation where she had already, she's already scheduling another abortion. And that's when we're shown like, oh, you were pregnant before? And she's like, yes, once. Um, and this is after the fact, um, obviously, that sh- her and Mason are getting intimate and – it's, it's clearly she's obviously like you kind of said, she's having this like looming thing. Cause not, not only is she going to find out soon that her father is being let out of prison, but now she's pregnant again. She's going through this cycle again, even though now it's from someone she loves um, romantically and somebody who is her boyfriend, it's still bring giving her like flashbacks to that trauma that she endured. And um yeah, it's just very evident. And it's so clear that Mason really, really cares about her. And he's so careful because obviously he also cares for the children. So he's he's very aware and had been in foster care himself. So he's very aware of other people's traumas and emotions because as they're doing that, he did ask like multiple times, are you okay? Um, is this okay for you? And then when she hits him, obviously you're going to have that reaction. But it's not like a, it's not like a, oh my God, like what? We're stopping this now? It's just that he got hit.
1: Hey, God damn it! I got hit. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's whatever. It's under it's understandable. You know, you're gonna have those um, you know, those instances of of when that's gonna happen. You know, uh, I know that to some it's hard to even get back into the idea of having sex with someone after you uh you've been assaulted. You know, and I'm I'm really happy in the way that you know Creton kind of portrays it in here. It's not it's not in the way where it makes you know, the woman looks selfish and it's not in a way that makes the man look like a pig. It's like, Hey, is this is something that happens. And, you know, we have an initial reaction that made sound bad, but after you talk about it and you communicate and then, you know, their, their relationship is difficult. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's not being talked about. There's stuff that is difficult to explain to each other. And, um, even though one party, begs and pleads for the other one to let them in and to tell them about what's going on. It's difficult. It's, it's yeah. it really is like, you know, it, it, not, not all of us have that power and that strength to be able to say it all and tell them, damn it. I was abused. I was this, my father's going to come back and he's going to do it again. He's going to kill me or something or whatever. Right. You know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it is really hard. But once again, when she comes back home, after she releases her anger, she re- she understands what's going down with Jaden. After she gets her into the home, they come back. And they lay down in that bed, and they're there for each other again. Mm-hmm. And they work things out after they go and get the sonogram and stuff. And you know, we're 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 kind of reminded that it's tough. We are tough, complex beings. We go through a lot. We go. We are. We are. We are trauma ridden at times. But the communication is the is is the important part. Being able to talk through what hurts us and what harms us and what has gone at to us, happened to us, and after that you can tell that their that their life starts to um you know be more open, yeah, yeah it it's, more communicative.
2: Yeah, it's so much easier said than done, um because. Obviously, we've already talked about that communication aspect, sharing stuff with others like is something that really lifts a weight off your own shoulders, but consistently doing it is very difficult because clearly she has shared aspects because he's aware of her father. She shared all those kind of aspects in the past, but he's not or she's not currently letting him in about what she's dealing with at the time, which is the pregnancy with his child. And when she does finally share it, it's it's obviously a very happy moment for him because they love each other. Um, but she's still going through that trauma again, because it's almost like she's losing control of her body again. This isn't something they weren't trying to have a baby. Uh, this is something that obviously accidentally happened and she's not happy with. And also not only that, but is facing that presence of her father. Because when we are talking about her connection with Jaden, when she's talking to, uh, one of the heads at the, at short term 12, she's like, Of course, Jaden, this is how Jaden knew how to communicate what she was going through with me. Because, of course, she's not going to straight up say it because in her mind, that person is always next to her, always behind her, always listening in. So she had that solace for however many years he was imprisoned. She had that solace to know he's in there. And now it's like he's going to be free roaming again. And it's it's that presence, Um, even if they're not physically there or physically near you at all they still will always be there. And that's why that profound connection, because not only did um, Destin Daniel Cretton tell this story, but that connection that Grace and Jaden have um, makes this so much more special because we could have Grace's perspective and we could have another child who goes through something different. But we get so much more input on what Jaden's going through because Grace had already been through something very similar herself. And we get those moments of her saying, hey, he could he, she feels like he's right behind her at all times because that's, that's clearly something she went through herself. Um, and I think him doing that gives us these perspectives and really lets us into the minds of both Jaden and Brie Larson's character, Grace. Um, and that's, that's something as we dive into her going through all of this And then meeting another young woman who is going through a similar situation, that has to be so emotionally taxing. And it's very evident by kind of the decline that Grace goes through. As as we said, she's not communicating. She's definitely shutting down. um, And she's kind of just dealing with all of this internally.
1: Yeah. And and it it would be easy for Grace to say, like, you know, just I'm going to do my job. I'm not going to connect to this child. I'm not going to try to help this child all that much. I'm going to be here. I'm going to what's it called? make sure that she doesn't harm herself. I'm going to make sure that she has a home to stay in. And I'll be here for her to discuss. It's easy to do that. But yeah. Grace feels like this is her chance to be there for somebody because nobody was there for her. The only thing that she was able to do for herself was to get him in prison. Yeah. Nobody else was there to talk to her. Nobody else was there to kind of discuss these things. She goes to a therapist at the end. But before that, there was no there, there was all these pent up aggression, these feelings that she was, you know, to be fair, she was taking them out in an unhealthy way by, you know, going to a stranger's home trying to possibly trying to murder the father or what's it called going outside to uh hit a car, vandalize a car it's like even though in the spur of the moment it feels nice to do that not healthy ways of uh, of of expressing our uh, of expressing our emotions you know
2: yeah and and because she has that connection with jaden uh, cuz she feels this way clearly towards everybody and she has that care um but since it's the same thing, it's almost like I need to be there for her in the way that I know how, or that way that I wish somebody would have been there for me, listening to all the clues, figuring out what she's genuinely going through. And yeah, obviously emotions run high, especially not only is someone you care about someone who's in, who's at this home, uh, in your community, not only are they going through something, they're going through something so similar to what you did. So of course it's like, Oh, I clearly just need to My emotions are running high because also her personal life added onto it. I just need to go there. She grabs the bat. The second she stands there, obviously, there's like that lingering moment where she's just looking at him sleeping. And then Jaden's like, oh, what are you doing? Like, what are you going to do with that? And just kind of walks downstairs and they're able to talk. And obviously, vandalizing the car is a nice alternative uh, as much as we would love. To to bash bash his his head head (laughs) in. Yeah. yeah. As much as we would love to bash his head in, um, you know, bashing his car is a nice alternative because, I mean, can he prove who did it? No. Um, And so they're causing some harm. They're letting some of those emotions out the emotions that both of them are feeling, that rage that both of them are feeling towards the situation. And then she's able to take uh, Jaden with her back. And able to just kind of talk about her experience. And she's there for her. And she's kind of watching outside the doorway. And we get that shot of her looking at the guy who was like, well, if she didn't say it explicitly, then we can't do anything about that. But she was able to pick up on all those clues and get justice for Jaden as we're introduced to it in this film. Obviously, we don't know where they go forward with it. But she's able to finally express what is going on in her personal life.
1: It's sad. To be honest, that until the person has to open up their trauma and reopen trauma back up again, is when the moment that you you can actually do something. And it's hard, like you know, especially for someone who's just going through it right now. Like Jaden is is literally in the heat of it all right now. Like it's happening to her. Her father is still there. There's their father's not in prison. You know, it's 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 fresh trauma. So it's, it's, it's sad that the only way that they can do something is by her reopening that trauma and putting her in a very vulnerable situation that, that does harm to her, to her mental health.
2: Yeah. And, and I feel like she's empowered by grace through their conversation um, afterwards to be able to have the mental and emotional strength, to be able to speak on about it as difficult as it may be. um, This is the one way for them to go forward with this issue and hopefully solve it. And as difficult as it is to just like have your wound be closed for a little bit, be at the, at the facility for, um, for the week and then go to your dad's on the weekend. You're just, yeah, you're reopening that wound. You just closed again, that wound that was alleviated by the community that you had at this place where you don't have that same threat. You don't have that looming threat when you're here. He's not going to come over here. Um, So it's almost like the way that like Brie Larson's dad had like the prison. And that was what was keeping her safe because he was behind walls. Um, It's like Jaden, when she's there for the week, she's, she's in her own walls and her dad can't get to her unless it's one of the weekends or her birthday where he's taking her out. And, and it is really interesting to see too, because for her birthday, before she has the breakdown, she's like, she knows he's coming to pick her up and she's like waiting And it's her birthday. This is a day of celebration. This is a day of happiness and joy that you're in the place that you are and you are the person that you are. And she can't celebrate. So as we said, that moment with Marcus where where all all of them get together to help her out and lift her spirits in this time, even though they don't know what she's going through, they just know she's going through something. I think it's just so it really is that display of empathy that we see within this film and that more people should just have in real life. If you see someone struggling, and and that's why I I love I love the way they portray all of the children in this film. They are so young, and like I said, they're so wise in that way of being so self aware and empathetic and understanding other people's emotions, even though it's not always the best. Obviously, we have like Marcus and Louise like go back and forth sometimes. It's because they're all dealing with things in their own ways that they know how, and that's why I feel like people should just watch this type of film, and what they should take from it first and foremost is to have that empathy with others. If somebody is struggling, do whatever you possibly can. Obviously we can't move mountains, but that little display of it by making those birthday cards shows like that you can help somebody by doing something so simple that can just help somebody out so much.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's sometimes all that we need. is just an ear to listen to us. And, you know, it's also an interesting, what's it called, uh, sort of co- commentary on the foster care system itself. You know, we can't do much until we know that it's happening. And it's very fucked up because there's a lot of children out there who are suffering in silence who can't open up about these things. And they're still going home to those. You read off Jaden's face that while when she's seeing all these things and when she's hanging out with these kids, she feels like she doesn't deserve this place. She doesn't deserve this coming. She doesn't deserve the love that she's reaching, that she's that she's feeling from all these people. She, doesn't, she, doesn't, she feels like she doesn't deserve it at all. And that's what causes her to say, like, no, I I I I have to be back at the place with my abuser, and I, and I have to be there because for so long I've felt like this is where I need to be, because this is where it's where I'm where I'm used, is where I'm needed. And in this new place where it's healthy, it's foreign to me. It's foreign to me. I don't know how to deal with this. Nowhere in my, in my brain have I ever understood the idea of a healthy and helpful home. Mm-hmm. So when it's presented to me, it's so difficult to understand it. So that's why she, so that's why to me, she runs off. She goes back to her home with her father to probably get harmed more. And it's in diff- it, it, it's, it's, it's such a difficult thing to view, but it's so it's 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 so poetically presented in the way that Crenton does it. Just in that Crenton does it.
2: Yeah. And and that's the thing. He with his own implementing his own life experiences, basing certain things off of just the kind of people he's experienced or has experienced in his own life, gives that authenticity to this story and gives allows us to be able to like really get get the perspective of all of these children of the people that are working there as well. We have Nate a little nervous, definitely not equipped for a situation like this right away Um, coming in with really great intentions. And we have another beautiful moment of just a little showing of empathy. We have so many blink and you'll miss it. Amazing moments in this film. But Nate, like I said, who is very new to this and is learning the ropes of like how to really speak because he's never been in this situation. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, he's completely new to it. But he finds, uh, basically, a therapist says that Sammy shouldn't have his dolls anymore that he he sees as, like, his sisters. And so if he feels comforted by these dolls in that way and his therapist uh, takes them away as, like, a way of letting go and moving forward, and uh, he finds one of the dolls, Nate finds one of the dolls in the couch cushion and gives it back to Sammy as he's laying there clearly, clearly very upset. Um, and so, yeah, it's just all of these moments of just being there for others again, in the way they know how this is something that comforts him. This is not harming anybody. I found this, I am going to give it to him. Like, I don't care what the therapist says. That is not right. And it's, it's all that it's really that deep understanding of each other. And I love, I love that Destin Daniel Cretton does that with this film. There's so many of those moments that are just so special. Yeah. It's, it's,
1: First of all, I think that it's so fucked up that the therapist just completely takes it away from Sam. Like, you don't do that instantly. You gradually starts to take away it from the person. So that way they can feel as, what's it called? They can get used to it. You don't just take it away that fast. It's like, that's just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a therapist myself, you know. That's I'm not studying to do that, (laughs) but I feel like even on a humane level, I know that it's fucked up to just take it away like that fast. Like, don't do that. Like, exactly. I'm get like you know you don't you don't you don't get someone off. It's like it's like when you're taking your medicine. You know you don't get off your medicine that instantly. You gradually start to go down to the dosage. When you get down to the minimal dosage, you can try to take it off uh, as you go. And then soon you'll be without it.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: don't just something like that.
2: It's very apparent too when Nate and Jessica are talking about that. Like Jessica's explaining like, oh, she's the one that said like, oh, his therapist said this. So he doesn't have his dolls anymore. And you can see the look on both of their faces because Brie Larson brings up a really great point uh, within the film when she's, she's actually talking to the head of this. And she's like, we're on the floor with these kids all day, every day. We know them so well. So no, are we licensed therapists? Uh-uh. But we have a deep understanding of each and every single one of these kids. And so it was very clear by the look on Jessica and Nate's face um, that they don't think this is okay. The same way that we don't think it's okay to just take away all of those, especially because it's little dolls and it's not hurting anybody. So, yes – learn learn to move on for sure but find different paths of being able to do that or slowly transition that but just taking them all away when that's his coping mechanism from right now that is not an unhealthy one a super super unhealthy one or a dangerous one um but yeah so that's why that's why all of those little moments and just that care just in all of those he could have easily found that and been like ah whatever and tossed it away But he's gotten to work with these children and know these children and appreciate them for who they are and have that empathy and connection and that family, like we've mentioned so many times.
1: Yeah. So uh, there's other inst- things that you know, minor things that I wanted to bring up. That I'm glad that you know, it's 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 beautiful that the way that kind of Crentin kind of brings it up. Uh, you know, Marcus is uh, fostered by a Latino Latino family. Um, you know, they have that celebration. They're eating their authentic food. Eh, I'm gonna I'm tell you, you you had to do the hard show. Uh, but you know, I'll pass it on. I'll, 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 what's it called? I'll let it pass on this one. What's it The budget didn't allow for uh, you know actual tortillas. But, I know, didn't even
2: notice that. I cannot yeah, believe you looked up on that.
1: It was hard show. I looked at it so disappointingly. I was like, come on. But it's beautiful <laughs> that you know they they go outside. And, you know, the fact that John, what's it called, Mason speaks Spanish and like, you know, yeah. speaks Spanish to the kids. He speaks Spanish with his what's it called with his family. You know, he says that he doesn't know that much and he doesn't want to embarrass himself when he's giving that beautiful speech. They go outside, they dance, and he asks Grace to marry her. And in the backyard, he are hearing Lindo, which is a song about you know, not not really repressing your emotions, but really like living in the moment and not and not and not worrying about what's hurting you right now and kind of just you know living in the moment and, and, and what the song says uh um what's it called um don't 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 cry what's it called because because um, what's it called what's it called when you sing crying what's it called the, the sky will the sky will be the sky will be sad As it goes. so in, so in this time let's just dance let's just sing and we'll forget about the troubles of our world we can we can we can wait for another hours to do that again and uh i think that was really beautiful of course i'm going to let him pass on the on the hard shell that was a little bit disappointing on my end but you know what i'm going to i'm going i'm going to think that the budget wasn't only allowed for for hard shells so yeah uh,
2: they just had to go to the nearest grocery store and pick up whatever they could find yeah. you know they were definitely on a short budget and it's been <laughs> yeah, less than absolutely. a million dollars yeah less than a million dollars and That's the thing is that this film box office wise, I think has made like a little over like uh, 1.6 million, but it's been on like streaming services and things like that. So unfortunately, with these small, low budget, independent cinema films, like we celebrate it talking about it this way. And that's the way that it gets spread is by being on like streaming services. Somebody being like, I will not lose anything if I check this out. Let me let me click on this or hearing somebody else talk about it. Because this is a film that, like I said earlier, I wish I could sit everybody down and be like, please watch this movie and learn these different experiences and get in these perspectives that you never would um, otherwise and in such a real and authentic way. But it's just one of those that will just like live on as being a gem that definitely not as many people will be able to appreciate, unfortunately, but the people that have seen it will know its impact.
1: Yep, and as we reach the end, Mason and Grace uh, decide to keep the child. They have that sonogram, and as they view their child on the sonogram, both start to break down in tears. And uh, they go back to work to short turn twelve. And Grace, uh, Mason tells this story of a of a of a person who used to be at the facility that Marcus was into, and you know they leave and Marcus is back into the world is into the world as he has left the facility and he's having a cappuccino and what's it called Marcus was on a date with that girl
2: and
1: mm-hmm. when all is said and done and we're back in the same position as we were in the first the first shot of the film we're telling a story Sammy bursts out of the of the of the facility and they run to to make sure that he's safe and get him back in and that is the ending of Short Term Twelve, my friends, and that concludes our conversation on Destin Daniel Cretton's Short Term Twelve. Uh, Sabrina, as always, it is a it is an absolute honor, privilege, and it's just a absolute fun time to always have you on here, and it's always a beautiful time to hear you talk about these things with us, with me.
2: Oh, thank you so much for uh, having me on again. I'm excited for the future and what's to come
1: yeah yeah I, I thank you so much you know you're you're a wonderful person you're you, you you make your uh you make the spaces that you run so so welcoming and so fun and and so um accepting and i'm i'm glad that i've been uh, that last year i was able to grow my friendship with you and be able to have these platforms where we can discuss these things that we love even though uh you know we need to do that episode on Fellini I need to show I need to give you at least we need to do a film what's it called a, an episode for your for your YouTube for on Fellini like I want to show you this man
2: I know I need to dive into it and I need you and Aaron to hold me accountable for all and Patrick as well for all of the things that I have to check out yeah. there's so many but I'm excited to do it we will we'll get it done
1: yeah for sure Sure. Well, I won't pull a billion give you the whole filmography because that's just way <laughs> too much. But uh I will give you at least two films, two or three films. Oh you know? yeah,
2: that's definitely that's
1: doable. But uh as always, uh, Sabrina, can you let them know where they can find you? Oh, hold on. Before that, before that, sorry. The you're in the hot seat, <laughs> baby girl. Let's go. We can't we can't leave without you doing the pick. You know who are you going to piss off, Sabrina? All so right. Sabrina, before you leave, you have to give your pick for season three of The Cinema Condition.
2: Season three. First of all, honored to be invited back. Uh, very, very excited. Once you get through everybody else on season two and we're we're back on season three, um, the film Promising Young Woman will have been out for like a little bit. I just finished it. Yeah. Um, and obviously it will get its wide release on VOD uh, I think like mid midway this month or towards the end of this month. Mm-hmm. Um, but by season three, Promising Young Woman, everybody, that is my choice for season three. I am so freaking pumped because ever since I finished it, I haven't stopped racking my brain and thinking about it. Um, So that is off the table. I'm taking that now. I know it's a new release. I'm taking it before anybody else can.
1: It's okay. Somebody chose uh, In the Heights last season. In the Heights hasn't released. Oh, my God. uh, So, uh, you know, that's... (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, at least mine's out mine's out so yours is out yeah <laughs>
1: so um you heard it there folks uh, sabrina has chosen promising young woman from this year and last year's 2020 and we will be what's called discussing that when she returns for cinema condition season three sabrina can you let them know where they can find you
2: yeah you guys can follow me on twitter and instagram at sabrina x monica and then also on twitter at sabrina on film patreon.com slash Sabrina on film. We have film clubs. We have weekly live streams. We just dive into all of that. All of us just have discussions on films and we're introduced to new things that we maybe wouldn't have experienced before. So super exciting if you want to check that out. Um, obviously you could find me on the, well, not obviously, but if you know me, obviously you could find me on the first cut YouTube channel and the meaning of podcast it's plugged everywhere. It's plugged all the time. Um, so check that out. If you haven't already, we have a bunch of video essays, reviews, things like that coming up and it's just a lot of fun. And then obviously, again, I don't know why I keep saying obviously, but geeks of color, the geeks of color website. If you go and check that out, um, I have a ton of articles up on there and so do my friends Andres and RB three really, really great stuff. Um, Yeah.
1: Yep. Uh go and check out Sabrina on all those wonderful places. Uh she has forgotten to mention another place, patreon.com slash Sabrina Film. Please go and check her out there and make sure that you all send her all the <laughs> she she brushes her hair and she's like, like, Yeah, oh, yes. come through, can give me money. Yeah. So uh-
2: <laughs> you said it so I don't have to.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey, she deserves it. She runs a very well I'm telling you, Sabrina's one of my favorite people. She 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 is incredibly knowledgeable, and uh, ever since she was on First Cut, she has brought some wonderful insight to the uh, to the space. I know, my friends. When you listened to the last episode, I said that this would be the Executioner episode with Charlie Jones. Uh, sadly, we ran into a sort of a uh, scheduling error, so Charlie's episode will be saved for a, in a couple of for a couple of uh, weeks. But we will see you all. I will see you all once again. Next week, well, not next week. The next on the next episode, I need to talk about as if I am making this. Or so, yeah, it would be the next week. Sorry, I am. I am just confusing myself right oh, here. Good. We will see you on the next episode, as we invite once again Rachel Sweetland to dissect and discuss Alma Arell's "Honey Boy." With that being said. I hope you all have a wonderful night, a wonderful day, wherever you are. Wonderful time. We'll catch you guys on the next episode.